0: From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: What we really try to do, Daniel, is help these practices think differently. You you know, you can't continue to do the same old, same old and, and produce a different result. So we ask practices all the time, do you have a strategy? Do you have a transparent relationship with your vendors Do you work with? Do you know the top medical conditions that are driving your expense? Um, Do you have programs in place to
0: reduce risk? That's Jim Holder, Vice President, Employee Benefits Consulting at Holmes Murphy & Associates, talking about being strategic with employee benefits and lowering costs at medical practices. We'll hear more from Jim in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. The Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care visit nuance.com/dax on demand to see DAX in action and explore how it can transform your organization. Breast cancer will impact 1 in 8 women. The best way to decrease mortality in breast cancer is early detection. Onsite Women's Health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. Partnering with OnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OnSiteWomensHealth.com. Our guest today is Jim Holder. He's Vice President of Employee Benefits Consulting at Holmes Murphy & Associates. He's also the co-creator of MGMA Benefits Plus. Jim's here today to talk about being strategic with employee benefits and lowering cost at medical practices. Jim, thanks so much for joining us on the MGMA Insights Podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Daniel. Pleasure to be here this morning.
0: Yeah. Now, You are a partner with Holmes Murphy. It's one of the nation's largest employee-owned and controlled insurance consulting firms. Um, If you don't mind, give us some background for our listeners who may know the name or they may know a little bit about you guys. Just give them a little bit uh, of information about what you guys do.
1: Yeah, well, we're a 90 year old company um, and we are employee owned and controlled, which um, being private is one of the things that I think makes for a great ownership model for a professional services firm. So we focus on two primary areas, risk management and employee benefit consulting for employers on the I'm on the employee benefits consulting side and our focus is really on two primary things, Daniel on strategies to help lower clinical risk and lower costs for employers and number 2 we do that through a mechanism of making sure their insurance contracts their PBM contracts have better terms and definitions and then we align the strategy around clinical risk reduction so think most groups have you know think about cardiac care think about musculoskeletal think about cancer care and things that will help them navigate an ever complex healthcare system is really what my team and I do. And we've got a team of thousand people at Homes Murphy that are really dedicated to those two primary lines of business.
0: Okay, that's great. So you laid the groundwork for us, and we're going to touch on a variety of topics related to both healthcare and healthcare cost. And as you were saying earlier that risk side of things, trying to reduce that. So let's take a step back then, look at the big picture view from your point of view, because you come at this differently than a lot of the guests we have on the Insights podcast. You're from that financial and insurance side of things. So uh, fill us in then. What are some of the basic truths right now concerning U.S. healthcare? I know we've all got opinions, but I want it from somebody who's actually working on things there.
1: Well, I'll, I'm happy to share my opinion, and um, I think we just need to create a dialogue around this because healthcare impact us, impacts us all. So first and foremost is you think about the U.S. healthcare system. It's really not a free market system for healthcare. Um, as we age, um, over 65, most elderly people get their coverage through Medicare. Um, we have a safety net for um, the poor people in our in our country to obtain Medicaid coverage. So the government controls about fifty percent of healthcare spend through the federal government and the state programs as well. And you think most of us that go to work every day that have private insurance is highly influenced by the federal government's role in healthcare. Um, with the expansion of the ACA, we thought that the Affordable Healthcare Act that was signed by. Uh, President Obama back in March of 2010, it seems like it was yesterday, but it's close to uh, 12 years ago, we thought that the expansion would lead to lower costs. We continue to see hyperinflation in healthcare, both for individuals, both for businesses, and it's the number one expenditure for our federal government. And most of our state and local governments experience the same thing. So the question people always ask Daniel is, um, we're spending a lot of money, are we getting much value out of it? And is it corresponding to better health, longevity gains? Um, you know, if you just dissect it, there's certain areas where it has. Take cancer survival rates um, are exceptional compared to other developing nations. If you just look at the role of the Affordable Health Care Act when it was assigned in, 19, in 2010, um, for three straight years after that, life expectancy declined, right? And if you look at what we have today, Americans' life expectancy is lower than in 2019 than it was in 2013. So, not bringing the pandemic into it, we if we use life expectancy as a monitor of healthcare, it continues to decline. Um, you know, one of the things that we've solved for in this country with the Affordable Health Care Act, some of our expansions in Medicare, et cetera, and our insurance that we get through our places of employment has all been about financing mechanisms, right? It's nothing to do with improving your health, improving your health outcomes. It's a financing vehicle. So I think the step that we need to take as is people that are really attached to healthcare, whether you're advisors like people that work for my firm or your employers or your medical practices, is we have to think beyond just the financing mechanism and think about that healthcare, health insurance really transforms, transitions to healthcare and the end user for it. I always like to use the comment, the political strategist. Uh, James Carvel that got President Clinton elected, is credited with the famous political statement: "It's the economy, stupid." Right. You know, and I think as it relates to healthcare, it's really the cost, stupid. You know, yeah. so those those are some basic truths concerning healthcare that I think are important to point out. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is also important to think is most people don't realize we have. We have price discrimination in healthcare. So, if if I'm a, if two patients go into a hospital, you know, one is covered by Medicare and one is covered by private insurance, they have they're in beds next to each other. They have the same procedures done. They are discharged on the same day. The private insurance patient, after applying discounts and so forth. Will be billed nearly twice what the Medicare. So I know our medical practices through MGMA really focus on payer mix. You know, they have their Medicare, their Medicaid, and their private. So we have this real price discrimination built into our reimbursement model that really affects um, our end users of healthcare and our providers of healthcare, that that just says the government has a huge role in there. And th- those are some things that I think are important for us to to point out um, as we think about our strategies and we understand the basic truths around healthcare. There's certainly many more you the, but those are the highlights that I would point out, Daniel.
0: Okay. So sticking with sort of that uh, political side of it, and from a nonpartisan way, we see it from both sides of the aisle. Um, healthcare is one of the top issues uh, where voters will fall, you know, that is right up there. Why is that? What is going on? I think you've already touched on several of the issues there, but um, in your research and in your work, what have you seen that causes healthcare to be such a driver and quite frankly, a a divisive issue? you think Hey, let's all you know get our go see our docs and get better. Yeah. And but no, it becomes very politicized. And so, what's going yeah. on there?
1: Well, healthcare has always been the number one issue amongst voters, and really the number one issue among Americans. Whether you're worried about elections or whatnot, you know, I I think now the last uh, six months, the number one issue has been just inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, any of us that fill up our gasoline at Woo. the pump or go and purchase grocery stores, there's some real things that are crowding out healthcare. But I think if you think about healthcare back to, it's the number one expenditure for the federal government. You know, it's the fastest growing expenditure for the federal government. If we think of individuals, it's the number one reason people file for personal bankruptcy. Um, If you go to a business side, you know, we all remember in 2012 when Warren Buffett said that, uh, Healthcare is the tapeworm of the American economy, you know, um, and, and most people work in healthcare. It's 20% of GMP. And if you just go a reset and looking at Kaiser's data, the average single person in America spent about $7,800 on healthcare annually, as far as their, their, their premium, the family was roughly 2200 If you just dial that back 20 years ago, and Daniel, you and I remember that quite well in 2020... 2000, excuse me, that single was paying 2,500. And that family was paying 6,500. So that's nearly a three and a half times inflationary adjustment over a 22 year, a 21 year period of time. And as we talk to our medical practices, you know, you know, that healthcare tapeworm, you know, is consuming more and more those premiums, or consuming more and more dollars to provide the benefits um, to those employees. And one of the things that employers have done is they've reacted by, you know, cost shifting the burden to their employees. And we, we know from the Commonwealth's data that nearly two in five working adults might have coverage, but they're underinsured. So they have they might have a Blue Cross Blue Shield ID card. Or Cigna or United, one of the big insurance companies, card in their wallet. But functionally, when they go to access healthcare, they can't really afford it. They, you know, when the Federal Reserve says most people has less than four hundred dollars in disposable money to for unplanned un- events, that that really hits in the pocketbook of healthcare pretty dramatically. Um, simply put. Um, Medical practices have various levels of workers, right? So you have highly compensated people that work for them and you have some low-wage earners within the practice. Most of the low-wage earners that we see in medical practices or hospitals or employers in general are really functionally uninsured, right? They, they might have coverage, but if that out-of-pocket cost, if they can't afford to access care, they really don't have health care. Okay, that's the reason why it's the number one issue amongst Americans.
0: (laughs) Well, that was very helpful. So I want to talk now about one of the a couple of the mechanisms or uh, products that have been developed to help offset some of these issues. So we talk about health consumerism. Is that working when we look at health savings accounts, health reimbursement accounts? How are they going?
1: Well, you know, Milton Freeman is credited with saying nobody spends somebody else's money as wisely as he spends his own. I think that's how the quote go. And the theory, (laughs) and this was predominantly raised by the Republicans, is a theory is the third party reimbursement mechanisms, such as private insurance, creates a market and consumer inefficiencies, leading to higher costs, and the consumer is not a direct financial stakeholder. So the they said, like, let's have high deductibles, let's have savings accounts, and let's let the individuals go consume on their own. I don't know when the last time you went for a doctor's visit. I, I had my annual physical a couple months ago, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I knew it would be covered on 100%, but if they ordered additional things, you don't know what they've ordered, and it gets billed to the insurance company. So the, the system itself and consumerism has really failed. I mean, you, you might be able to have an idea, but you really don't know till after the doctor might order different things for you, you might get different treatments while you're there. So having that efficiency of a consumer market where you know what it's going to cost before you acquire or obtain the goods or services is just not really realistic in healthcare. So from the standpoint of creating an efficient market, I think they failed there. And if you look back on the data of the health savings and the HRA plans, we thought it would reduce the the inflation. Mm -hmm. It really just proved to be a cost shift to the consumers. Unfortunately, the HSAs are a great tax advantage plan for your higher wage earners, um, but it really wasn't a health coverage. And some of the things that we see as a result of these high deductible plans is, it's bad debt for the hospitals and the physicians, Patients are skipping needed healthcare services. They're delaying things because they can't afford it. Um, we see this with prescription drugs where people don't fill life saving medicines. And then back to the consumer bank, Um what we want to do and the intentions were noble around consumer directed and around HRAs and HSAs. But what, what it's proven to be is essentially, in my opinion, is a cost shift. And um, if the people don't have money to access the right care at the right time, uh, I think there's a lot of downstream effects that were unintended consequences. of so probably an idea that was not, vetted out and made sense, but in practicality, it didn't make a lot of sense for most people and Americans that are using those type of plans.
0: Okay. All right. Well, when we were corresponding leading up to this interview, you shared a a Newsweek article with me. I had not actually seen this, but it did catch my attention. The headline reads, how bad is the U.S. healthcare system among high-income nations? It's the worst, the study says. So we see a lot of headlines like that, a lot of clickbait type stuff. So is this clickbait? Is it accurate? What's go between the lines here for us and help us understand it?
1: Well, I, I think Daniel, it's partly right and it's partly wrong. So let's let's dissect it a little bit more. I mean, we certainly, as Americans, we have shorter life expectancy amongst other developing countries. Um, can you really blame the healthcare system for the social and the lifestyle choices made by Americans? We we have higher obesity. Um, we have more gun violence. Um, and you, you take Mick Jagger in 2019. He went to Presbyterian in New York for his heart surgery, right? And he could have stayed in his native uh, United Kingdom for, for that procedure. He, is, he, has a ma- he has enormous wealth and he can go anywhere. So I think it depends. Um, people, there's great healthcare in this country. There's great Systems in this country for caring for people. But I think in general, um, there's a lot of health disparities between folks that access care from wealthy people and some of our poorer people in our country. Um, you know, some of the things we look at also just on the US level is it a poor performer? We said fewer Americans have regular doctor visits. Um, and this is really skewed by income as well. Um, I, I mentioned my annual physical I got a couple months ago. Um, everybody should doing that. There's a wider gap amongst people with, with um, income and means. Um, as Americans, we have more chronic conditions. I think the average is at least two amongst adults or two or more chronic conditions. And, and if you think about it, Daniel, with MGMA, we're in this healthcare space, but for the average person the system is very difficult to access and navigate, and it's economically biased. I, that, that's the main thing I can point to it. So um, th- those are some of my opinions and some of the facts that that we look at from from data that we research.
0: Okay, well I appreciate that. And we've been talking about some of these costs um, associated with healthcare. One of the other big ones is big pharma. Um, so. Tell us about Big Pharma and PBMs. They both seem to be in the crosshairs of both the public uh, and uh, Washington, DCs after them to some degree as well, or supporting them in other cases. So yeah, um, yeah. tell us what we need to know about drug spend. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, so, so for those who didn't know, PBM stands for Pharmacy Benefit Manager. It might be embedded in your insurance contract with that in United or Blue Cross. So. Um, and they're the administrator of your prescription drug benefit and big pharma is obviously who we get the medications for. Let's start with a little background. Um, the U.S. spends about $500 billion on prescription drugs annually. Um, big number, right? The um, oh, yeah. U.S. in specialty drugs, you know, think of things that that are used to treat complex illnesses and um, uh, less than 2% of Americans are, used, are have specialty medications, but it for 50% of the cost, so I think $250 billion. And it's the fastest growing segment of the healthcare spend, especially medications. Um, you know, the question that we should be asking ourselves related to big pharma and PBMs, are these medications leading to meaningful offset in overall healthcare spend? And um, you know, if if I'm spending a dollar on my pharmaceutical benefit, is it reducing a dollar in medical? So it, those those debates still continue to go on. I think what 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 we say is sadly it's not, and it's tough to really tell. Um, you know, so most of us, um, you know, at least within the working population, ninety um, percent of the non-specialty medications are generic. But most are too expensive, too. We we hear people of you know cutting pills in half. We hear of people not medical adherence or pharmaceutical adherence is only at 50%. So 50% might take it correctly, another 50%. We hear stories about doctors writing prescriptions and patients never filling them because of cost. Um in three, three in 10 Amer- adults take medications as prescribed. So that means 70% aren't doing it correctly. Um, as I think about the PBM, so that's the big pharma angle as well as the PBMs, but the, the PBMs are highly concentrated. 80% of the market is controlled by CVS, Optum, and Express Scripts. And, and the thing that we need to understand is those companies are almost all owned or own insurance companies. So it's a very consolidated market. It's a market, their earnings stream, which their earnings are cost to us as consumers, are largely, are largely not transparent. So they make money by inflating costs that they charge you and reimbursing the pharmacies less. So and it, it's a game that that you know the government's involved in. They're trying to, if you go to K Street in Washington, DC, where all the lobbyists are a lot of funding from pharma, a lot of funding from the PBMs, but what we need to think about as a country with our system is how do we make medications more affordable and how do we do that in a way that these companies can make reasonable profit and the end user can have have affordable medications within um, their overall offering. But big pharma PBMs are certainly in the crosshairs. They'll continue. Um there to be a big issue. Um, but they've been kicking this can down the road, Daniel, for about the last 20 years. So let's 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 stay tuned to see what happens there. Um, you know, things that employers can do and things that are, consumers can do is ask questions, is there a more affordable alternative? Um, you know, you know, sometimes doctors like to prescribe. The latest and the greatest and you know we, we we know like metformin's been around for for 50 years it's a common diabetic medication and trilicity that you see on tv every night you know costs about six times what metformin does for diabetics so there, there's things we can ask if, if you're watching the nightly news tonight and you see uh it'll be littered with pharmaceutical oh, yeah. for, for big pharma advertising typically if those are advertised Typically, if you're a consumer, they're going to be substantially more money and you just need to research and ask questions. Maybe that's one area that consumerism can work. Ask your doctor, is there a cheaper alternative? What's what's the impact of taking the medicine, et cetera? So, and then when your doctor prescribes it, you know, you know, make sure you take the medications as intended. And most okay. don't, sadly.
0: Right. Um, as our listeners know, because they're living it, uh, recruiting and retaining staff is is just at a critical point right now. So, I've asked a lot of experts on here about how we can change that. They, you know, talk about culture and some different issues here. For you, I want you to help us understand maybe some. Better employee benefits, some strategic initiatives there to take towards employee benefits. What can practices do there?
1: Yeah, well, my business partner and I are uh, two of the co creators of MGMA Benefits Plus. And we, you know, what medical practices can do first and foremost, there's not a product that exists that can cure healthcare, right? So you've got to quit buying products. It's the second or third largest expense you have. So um, what we really try to do, Daniel, is help these practices think differently. You you know, you can't continue to do the same old, same old and and produce a different result. So we ask practices all the time, do you have a strategy? Do you have a transparent relationship with your vendors do you work with? Do you know the top medical conditions that are driving your expense? Um, Do you have programs in place to reduce risk. an example, you know, we see a lot of, uh, let's take, you know, let's take cancer, for example. We see a lot of colon, breasts, you know, do you have a primary prevention strategy? Our chief medical officer always says, I would rather discover things at stage one than stage three or four by having a strategy in place. Do you have healthcare navigation in place that helps people navigate a complex system? Like most people don't know where to go You know, they might ask a colleague, they might ask a friend, they might go onto social media, but do you have guided navigation that helps you get to the right place and the right, so we're big believers in don't think of your health insurance, your employee benefits is a once a year event you know, it needs to be managed. And, and quite frankly, most of these practices, they don't get claims data, they don't get experience. They have to be in a real trusting relationship with their insurance company they're working with. And most think it, when you talk to them about thinking differently, most of them go, yeah, we, we, we kind of pushed this decision down. We wait till the last minute. Um, and then we hope like, heck, that it produces a different results. And we, we know how time flies, especially since COVID. So that annual renewal comes up really quickly. So we're big proponents of, you know, one is you got to have a, you got to have a strategy Two, you have to be able to think uh, transparency and you have to have favorable terms and conditions and you have to focus on managing, managing the costs versus just hoping I can buy a product and, um, That it'll cure what else healthcare? Because the evidence over the last couple of decades is it's continued to go up. We shared a little bit earlier, Daniel, that since 2000 to 2021, healthcare expenditures have gone up three and a half times. And and you know, and and another thing to point out, we talked a little bit about inflation as well. Is healthcare inflation has always been you know a spread between CPI, and we've talked about gas and groceries, and we know from the latest report that CPI is about eight and a half percent. So don't expect healthcare to trend differently. And now with our practices, healthcare becomes revenue to some, but on their employee benefits, it's cost. So we we certainly understand that as well. But um, I think taking a step back and really thinking strategically, the great thing about medical practices and hospitals in general is we don't have to explain the science of disease to them because they have doctors and practices that understand that what we need to do is connect the science to strategy into deploying a plan that allows them to manage their healthcare expense in a in a meaningful way and uh, most most sophisticated employers and most uh, uh, practices that deploy that they they actually that it becomes a source of of offering better benefits, really not offering health insurance, but offering health care and being able to squeeze as much out of that so you can pay more, you can attract and retain your workers because that's what's important in this day and age.
0: Okay. Well, before we sign off, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned MGMA Benefits Plus. Uh, Tell us what that is.
1: Well, as I mentioned before, MGMA Benefits Plus is, is an exclusive member benefit to people that are MGMA members. Um, I, I would ask you to check out ngma.com Benefits Plus for more information. Um, my partner and I are willing to have scheduled introductory plans that just ask you simple questions. Do you have a strategy? Um, do you? How are you thinking about healthcare? How does it fit into your retention Strategy. Do you have a total rewards plan to be able to help these practices really tackle a big uh, expense and really use it in a way that allows them to to be competitive in their marketplace and not continue to erode their margins and earnings of the practice because of high health insurance costs. So um, it's a different way of thinking, and um, we've been able to help practices throughout the country really have that conversation and that education and lead them down the road of really saving money on their employee benefits spend.
0: Okay. I will leave uh, a link uh, to MGMA Benefits Plus in our episode show notes. So people who are interested can just click right in there, go right to it and see what those benefits are for you. So for our last question, Jim, I'm going to do something completely different. We're both big sports fans. You made made it very clear to me that you're a huge Colorado Avalanche fan. So I know the news may not have been great last night, but just bring our listeners up to speed. What's going on with the Avs? Uh, and what's the outlook like?
1: Well, for those of you that thought um, St. Louis Blues were dead uh, last night, uh, they eclipsed a 3-0. Uh, they were down 3-0 to the Avalanche. So um, as a sports fan here in Colorado, um uh, my money's on the abs winning, um, the series against the blues and hopefully they can bring home a third Stanley cup to, uh, to Colorado. Um, so sports is a real nice, uh, break from the craziness that we deal with on our day to day basis and getting away from the news feeds. But, uh, I'm going to bet on the Colorado avalanche, Daniel, how about you?
0: Uh- I trust your judgment. I'm more of a Broncos (laughs) fan, but when it comes to hockey, I I put my faith in you. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a great way to end this, Jim. So I want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast and frankly, for sharing these insights uh, with us. This was great information. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Jim Holder, Vice President of Employee Benefits Consulting at Holmes Murphy & Associates. Jim is also the co-creator of MGMA Benefits Plus. You can go to mgma.com slash benefits plus to learn more about their solutions proven to lower healthcare costs year after year. We also want to thank Nuance and Onsite Women's Health for sponsoring this week's show. The Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Visit nuance.com/dax on demand to see DAX in action and explore how DAX can transform your organization. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. OnSite Women's Health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in house. Partnering with OnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OnSiteWomen'sHealth.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening.